church. It's good to be back with you. Uh, it feels like a, a long time um, for us and my family. Uh, my name is Chris Vogt, and I have my family over here. My wife, Rebecca, my truly my better half. Um, my six kids, see them here, and my... Um, thank you. We have been uh, on a long journey since the last time that I stood here, uh, about four years ago. And um, uh, I grew up in this church. Some of you may not know that. Um, been here since the 80s. And the 80s seemed like a long, long way uh, away now. Um, but truly, since that time, uh, God has been the faithful one. Because um, I have not always been faithful. Uh, but he has been the good and the, the good shepherd. And so that's, that's why I'm here this morning, because I, I want to share about his faithfulness with, with you um, from Psalm 23. And some of you are thinking, Psalm 23 again? Like, haven't we been on Psalm 23 for six, six weeks, has it been, right? This is uh, week number seven. And uh, you thought you were done last week, I'm sure. Um, but Pastor Brian asked me to share a little bit about my own story and where God has brought me, and it just flows so well with the themes of Psalm 23. And so I'm going to go there again because I don't know about you, but I, I don't think we can ever fully get tired of hearing that the Lord is our shepherd. Because we, we serve a shepherd who is far different than I can even imagine. And so we could spend the next 52 weeks on Psalm 23, and we still wouldn't have exhausted it. Because that's how inexhaustible our God is. And so I'm, I'm hoping that you're ready because um, I don't know if I am. <laughs> um, I just want to pray. Lord God, I am, I am so thankful, Lord, as we just sang, sang this morning, Lord, that your promise still stands and will forever stand. Lord, that you are our shepherd. You are the one who leads us from dark and scary valleys through in green pastures in the presence of enemies. And um, you declare, Lord, that you're your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of, your, of our lives. And I am so grateful for that, Lord, that you are the faithful one, even when I'm not. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we sang, Lord, that all peoples would praise you, all of Pathway, all of Vero Beach, and New Hampshire County, Florida, this nation, and to the ends of the earth, Lord, we desire for your name to be exalted, for you to be seen as the glorious shepherd that you are. And so, God, would you help me in that, in my weakness, to tell something about the glory of who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this morning, the title of my sermon is Glory and Weakness. I'm going to talk about what that means. But specifically, the glory of the shepherd and what it means to live as one of his sheep or as a vessel before him. So we're also going to be a little bit in 2 Corinthians 4 and a lot of other places. So I hope you have your Bibles this morning. If you do, get them out, whether that's on your phone or um, in the Pew Bible before you. Um, 
I have two, two goals really this morning. I want you to be enthralled and actually just amazed at who our shepherd is. And I want you to become even more comfortable in your weakness. Because as sheep of the shepherd, we, by nature, are in great need of him. And so I want you to be enthralled with your shepherd and be more comfortable in being weak before him. So I want to start off, because I'm uh, in verse 3, and that's where I'm really going to focus on this morning, where David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I want to highlight some things from this verse, because I want you to see the glory of the shepherd. And he is no ordinary shepherd. I'm sure you've seen that over the last six weeks you've seen. He is no ordinary shepherd. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 34, you will see that the shepherd is speaking. And this is what he says in the context of shepherds and sheep. And I know you've read this passage in previous weeks. God says, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. Notice how how much he wants you to get the fact that he is the one who is going to come and search out for his sheep. He emphasizes it. Behold, I, I myself will come and search out for my sheep. And of course, we know who this I is. This is Yahweh himself. So I want you to get a picture. Like most of us have an idea of what a shepherd is, right? Maybe, maybe you've met a shepherd. Probably most of us haven't. We have an idea of them though. I want you to take that image and then I want you, I want to augment that for us today. Because the shepherd you have in mind, the, the one that we find in Scripture, this is Yahweh himself. This is the Lord God who breathes out stars. That is the kind of shepherd that you and I have. So when we read Psalm 23, I want you to think of not just a, a shepherd, but something even way better than what you have in your mind of what a shepherd is. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, you can turn there with me really quickly. Colossians chapter 1 does a great job of telling us a little bit about our shepherd, because our shepherd is Christ, isn't he? Verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is is our shepherd. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is the finisher of all things. So a shepherd usually leads his sheep to green pastures, and he brings them to green pastures. Your shepherd is different. He creates green pastures. He speaks them into being. He leads you to, a shepherd leads his his sheep to still quiet water so that he might restore our souls. Your shepherd is different because he actually is the one who made the rivers. He is the one who actually called them into existence. He is the creator, sustainer, and the finisher of all things because he is no ordinary shepherd. So he leads us to these pastures. 
But an interesting thing as well, a shepherd in this world protects his sheep from enemies and from wolves. Your shepherd is the one who created the wolves and the enemies. But he leads you through them so that he might triumph over them. He is a different kind of shepherd than this world has. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, an amazing passage that speaks of Jesus. Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. I just want you to get a picture of who your shepherd is. This is what John saw about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Just picture for a minute what we just read. This is Jesus. This is the image of Jesus that John saw. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are flaming like fire. His, his uh, hair is like wool. And his, his voice, it says earlier, that it sounds like trumpets or the sound of many rushing waters. He died, and yet he is risen, and he holds death and hell in his hands. Does that help you get a big picture of who your shepherd is? Like, this is not Mary had a little lamb kind of shepherd. This is Mary was confronted with the shepherd of her little lamb, and she fell on her face, and she worshipped him. This is not a small shepherd. He is not just the kind of shepherd you might find in the Middle East. He is far bigger and far greater, which means he is far better at protecting you and leading you to green pastures and restoring your souls. Because he is the one who created you, and he is the one who will sustain you, and he is the one who will carry you until the end. That is the shepherd that we have come to worship this, this morning. That's why we sang earlier, may all the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad, because how can we not? This is the shepherd that you and I have come here this morning to worship. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, turn with there with me. First time I read this, this passage, it blew my mind. Chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians, verse 7. Actually, start in verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in the future with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at 
among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. So this is the shepherd that we have come to worship here this morning. He is a shepherd who is yet again returning. And he's returning as the coming king. He's returning as the judge who will separate the dead from the living, the sheep from the goats. But notice, if you ask yourself the question, why is he returning? Why is he returning? When he comes on that day for the purpose of being glorified in his people, in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Jesus, your shepherd, is coming so that you will marvel at him. He doesn't just come to restore your soul and bring you to green pastures and give you life-giving water. He actually comes first and foremost so that you marvel at him. So when he is leading his sheep into green pastures, he's hoping his sheep look back and say, So when he leads you to rivers that he knows will give you life-sustaining power, he hopes his sheep turn back and say, oh my goodness, I have a good shepherd. And when he returns someday, you will marvel at him. At least I hope you will. Because for all of those who call upon his name, they are his. And I hope this morning that you've come to marvel at your shepherd. Because that's that's why we're here. That's why you send missionaries to the ends of the earth. That's why Buggy Bunch is doing what they're doing. That's why we're doing what we're doing. By the way, we lived in Uganda for 10 years. We've been in Chad and France for the last couple. And God is doing incredible things across the world. But the only thing that keeps me going is because I have an amazing shepherd And I want to continue to marvel at him every single day. Because the second that I stop doing that is the second that I will stop going for him. It's the second that I will stop seeking to make him known. So I want to come to Psalm 23 again and again and again. Because I want to see the greatness and the glory and the majesty of the shepherd that you and I call my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, A lot of times we read over that portion of scripture, like for his namesake, and we just kind of pass it by. But I want you to say, I want to tell you something. Like, this is probably one of the most important phrases in Psalm 23, because it's not just found in Psalm 23. Did you know that? I'm sure many of you realize that. But the shepherd is leading you in passive righteousness for his namesake, because he wants to be marveled at. He wants his glory to be seen by his sheep and all throughout the world. So I want to I show you that real quickly, and I'm going to run through some references in Scripture. I'm going to do it quickly. You might not have time to even get the references. I've got, I've got these verses on the table um, in the back where I'm going to be later if you want them. So just listen. Don't worry about taking notes right now. So I'm going to ask the question, why did Jesus or God do certain things, okay? And I'm going to show you from Scripture. First one, why did God choose his people? Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 6, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons to Jesus Christ to himself, according to the purpose of his will, for the praise of his glorious grace. So why did he choose you? For the praise of his glorious grace. Why did God create us? Isaiah 43, verse 67 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Why did he create you? For his glory. Why did God call Israel to be his people? 
Isaiah 49, verse 3, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. I made the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, cling to me, declares the Lord, so that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Why did God rescue Israel out of slavery in Egypt? Psalm 106, verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Why did God bring his people out of Egypt? To declare how great his name was. And you can see that all throughout Exodus. Why did God spare his people in the wilderness after? Ezekiel 20, verse 14. I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Why did God not cast away his people for their sin? 1 Samuel 12, 20. Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Why did God save Jerusalem from attack? Ezekiel 36, 22. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, hear that, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Why did Jesus tell us to do good works? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Why did Jesus say he answers prayer? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why does he answer your prayer? For his name's sake. Why did Jesus endure his final hours of suffering? John 17 says, Father, this is Jesus saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So why did Jesus endure suffering and death for, your, for you? Ultimately, so that the Son would be glorified, the Father would be glorified with the same glory that they shared before the world existed. That is why he came to die the death that he did and rise again. It is for the glory of his name. Why does, why does he call us to do anything at all? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Why does God tell us to serve? Whoever serves, let him do it as one who serves by the strength with God's supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. 1 Peter 4, 11. Why does Jesus fill us with fruits of righteousness? It is my prayer that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, Philippians 1.9. Why is Jesus coming again, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at? Why does Jesus want us to be with him someday? Father, I desire that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, John 17.24. Why does the earth and the sea exist? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. Why does Jesus, why does anything happen at all? Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And why does God refine us through affliction? Behold, he says in Isaiah 48, 10. I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it from you, that I might not cut you off. 
I could go on and on for probably another 20 minutes if you gave me the time just to look at all the things God says about his glory and why he does everything that he does. And it all comes back for his name's sake. All of it. Everywhere. Your Bible is filled with it. I remember the first time I saw this. I was in Uganda. You guys had just sent us out from here. This was December 31st, 2006. You guys had sent us out January 2007. We're in Uganda. I'm sitting through a class, and a good friend of mine to this day, one of my mentors, one of the men that I love the most in this world, <clears throat> he was teaching on the glory of God. And he was just going through all of Scripture. I had, a, I had notes that were like this big at that time. And he was going through every single verse in the Bible that talked about the glory of God. And I'm telling you, I, I was at that point, I think I was... <clears throat> 23, 24, I was absolutely blown away. Because up until that point, my view of God was probably about this big. For me, God was my shepherd for my sake. He leads me so that I get good stuff, that he leads me so that I find whatever it is that I wanted at that time. And God completely wrecked me. As I saw over and over again, that God is committed to his glory for his own sake. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you have a glorious shepherd, and it's because he's so glorious that he is so good to you. If he wasn't, if he wasn't that glorious, you would have nothing to hope in. There would be no hope for you and I if God is really not who he says he is. Now, some of you might be asking the question, why is, God seek, why, why is God's seeking of his own glory supposed to be good for me as his sheep, right? Because everybody else you know in this world who seeks their own glory, who boasts in themselves, who does things for their own name, you're like, that guy's arrogant, right? You don't want to be around people that boast in themselves and that say, hey, may all the people's praise you. That, that's the kind of person that you say, Hey, buddy, you know, stand aside, right? Why is it that God is different? Because he actually is as good as he says he is. Because God is flawlessly righteous. He is perfect perfection. There is no one like your shepherd and your savior. He's not like you and me. He's not like anybody else you have met in your entire life. Because when God <clears throat> seeks his glory, it is actually for your good. For God to be so God-centered is actually for your good. Because that is who he is. <clears throat> and because he is that good, for him to lead you down a path towards anything but himself or for him to make much of anything else besides himself would not be love for you. Right? Some of you, you understand this. Fathers, parents, mothers, friends, anybody in this world understands this. When you see something that is so amazing, what do you want to do? You naturally want to tell others about it. If you find a cure for cancer, you're like, hey, like, let me tell you about this. If you go to the Alps, or you go to the Rockies or wherever you are, you come back and you show pictures because you're, like, because you're like, this is so good, you've got to see it. And parents, you do the same thing with your children. You lead your children to things that you hope will make them happy for the longest time. If you didn't do that, it wouldn't be love, would it? 
But you do that because you love your children. You do that because you love your friend. You do that because you love your parents or whoever it is. God does the same thing. And guess where he leads you? To himself. If God did not direct your gaze to himself and say, make much of me because you won't be happy until you have me, then God would not love you. But because he does love you, he points you to himself because he knows you won't be happy until you get him. Because he really is that good. You will never be disappointed with God. And God will never say, hey, you know what? I'm really not that great. You should really check out this other thing over here. That's what I do. I, I say, you know, I'm really not that great. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm flawed. I'm not faithful all the time. And my story will reflect that. And I point you away from my help, myself. That's why John the Baptist, when he came, he said, I must decrease. He must increase. Right? Because that's why we exist, is to make much of our Savior. My own story in this is that I did not always love paths of righteousness. I was not thrilled with the glory of God. I thought of doing all things for his namesakes, and I was like, eh, yeah, you know, I love God, but really, from, from much of my years growing up, and even up until marriage, even up onto the mission field, I did so many things for the sake of my own name. And I was centered on myself. I would have talked to you about God and his glory, but only in as much as it didn't tarnish my own. My love for righteousness at that time was paper thin. And I only saw it as a cover-up for the sin beneath. I was committed to glory for myself. My heart in high school, college, right into marriage, right out to the mission field, my heart was filled with lust. My eyes were unbridled. My mind was filled with impurities. My appetite for God was minimal. My conscience was being seared. My food were adulterous thoughts. My path often led me to pornography, and I was dominated by a fear of man. Now, most of you, some of you, you saw me grow up, you never would have known that because I was so committed to the glory of my name that I didn't want that to be tarnished at all. I did not want you to think that I was actually worse than I actually portrayed myself to be. And growing up, my mind was a complete mess. I would sit here in worship service day, week after week, and so often my thoughts were in, and my heart were not on the Father's glory. They were on my glory. And I struggled with this, this addiction to pornography. And my mind was a, a complete mess for so many years. And I didn't tell anybody about it. And it wasn't until the Lord, by his grace and his mercy, brought me to Uganda that a, a dear brother of mine started to poke around in my own heart and life. And the more he started to get to know me, he started to realize, oh man, Chris, you've got, you've got this serious bondage here. And he started recognizing in me that I was very fearful. And I would hide things. And so I started slowly divulging yeah, you know, I struggle with these things. Like, all guys do. Like, this is just, you know, something that we all struggle with. And after he continued to see me fail again and again and again, and fail even to repent and confess my sin again and again and again, he came to me one day, he sat me down, I remember exactly where it was, and he said to me, he looked at me in my eyes, and he said, Chris, the reason why you keep going back to this filth is because you are in love with yourself. 
You are in love with yourself, and you care more for the glory of your own name than for the glory of God. That's why we hide our sin. That's why we don't want others to know us. Because we, have a, a, we're, we are glory seekers, and unfortunately, too often, it is not for the glory of his own name. It is the glory that I want for my own name. And so the Lord started me on this journey of learning to confess my sin, repent from sin, confess to my wife, <clears throat> humble myself. And it took a long time. It was not like this for me. But the Lord was the faithful one. That's why I started off earlier. God has been the faithful one to me and my family. Because I did not always care for the, for the name of Christ to be exalted above my own. In fact, there was one morning in the midst of all this that I opened up my Bible in the morning. I was reading my Bible, got distracted by emails. My wife got out of bed and I heard her and I said, oh man, my wife's getting out of bed. I should be reading my Bible. So I picked my Bible back up and I said, hey, hey, honey, good morning. You know, I'm just reading from uh, Psalm 23. Yeah, you're going to make breakfast? Okay, good. She went to make breakfast. And the Lord, after she turned away, turned and walked away, was like, do, 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 do. You are a liar. The Holy Spirit called me a liar. Because I wanted my wife to think I was better than I actually was. And I started realizing this kind of thing was all over my life. I was an expert deceiver. You would never know it. But I was so good at getting glory from people, and I craved it. I smiled in the right ways. I did all the right things that a good Christian boy should do because I wanted the praise and adulation of man. And I would do anything to get it. But you know what? Over time, I started realizing I actually hate it at the same time because I know it's not true. I know what is in my heart, and it is not that great. And so even though people say, oh, Chris, you're such a great guy, like you, oh, man, I would crave that and yet hate it at the same time because I knew it wasn't true. And so God had me on this journey of killing my sin, ripping it out, showing me my deceit, showing me my fear of man above my fear of God, and giving me a love for his word. Because my, my understanding of the glory of God actually came before he started confronting me in my own sin. And I started realizing how great he was. Now in this verse that we we are in, you are, we are being led in paths of righteousness for his namesakes. There's four assumptions here. First assumption is that you are not righteous. You are not righteous. That's the, that's the implication of this verse. He leads you in paths of righteousness because you're not. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Get that. Yes, you are blessed if you are righteous, but you are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because the Bible says, in our condition, we're actually not. And because we're not, the second thing is, we are not prone to follow righteous paths. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air. And you know who that is. That's Satan. This was our condition before God became our Savior. We were enemies of him. We were dead in our sin, following the course of this world, following a completely different path, not righteous. And that's where he found us. And the third assumption here that this passage makes is that you already have the shepherd. 
You were on a path to righteousness, but you didn't get on that path because of your righteousness. Right? That's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that our Savior and Shepherd did all things necessary for you to walk that path of righteousness with him. You didn't do anything. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So here's the the state of you. You are weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. And that's where your shepherd found you. Your shepherd cried out, you heard his voice, and he said, come, follow me. You were lost. You were a sheep and you were lost. You were weak, and God saved you. You were born unrighteous and you deserved death for your sin. That was, that was a problem because your unrighteousness meant that there was a quota that had to be filled on your behalf. And there was a penalty called death that had to be exacted. But your shepherd came from his throne in heaven for his namesake, took on flesh for his namesake, lived a life of perfection for his namesake, died the death that you should have deserved, you, you deserved and it was raised to life on your behalf. And he did it for his namesake, and that is for your good. The solution was that Jesus, your shepherd, came and filled your quota of the righteousness that you lacked and died the death that you should have died. Excuse me. And the fourth assumption here, which we've already mentioned, is that the shepherd's highest concern, I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice, is his name's sake. Excuse me, I probably need some water. Um, If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it speaks of us being vessels, jars of clay. And I love this picture because a jar of clay, when you look at it, Jars of clay were used for common use. There was nothing great about a jar of clay, right? It was like, it was the Tupperware of the, the Middle East. Thank you so much, Jake. It was the Tupperware of the Middle East. There was nothing so great about it. You go to Israel and you start picking up all the ancient pottery everywhere. You fill your pockets and then you start realizing this stuff is everywhere. This is not so great. And you start emptying your pockets and like putting it back on the, on the ground because it's all over the place. It's just jars of clay. There was nothing special about them. But you know what is special about a jar of clay, according to Paul? Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in us. As a jar of clay, guess what the the great thing about a jar of clay is? Is that God puts his treasure in it. So that when people look at you, they say, 
he's not so special. Like, he's just a jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay. We're all fragile and weak. But wow, who does he serve? There is something within him that is not him. There is something within him that is great, and it's not him. It's the shepherd. It's Christ. He's the treasure. He's the great one. He's the faithful one. And he puts his treasure in jars of clay so that the focus stays off of us, but it continually is being pointed back to the shepherd. In our story, my, my wife and I, we've gone through our gunk years, our growth years, and now we're in our glory years. But our glory years doesn't mean that we are, not, that we are somehow strong. In fact, this last year, we have been more weak this year than probably any other year that we've had yet because we've gone through trial after trial. In Chad, we... we found moldy houses in three different continents, and we've moved 19 different times with six kids all around the world, and we were tired and exhausted. Came back here in the middle of the pandemic, and we were just laid flat. But the glory of God is the thing that keeps being forefront in our minds and our hearts. And it's what I want you to take away today. I want you to be enthralled with the glory of your shepherd and be comfortable in weakness. For, as 2 Corinthians says, we do all things by his mercy, through his power, for his sake. Because the Christian life is all about learning to be comfortable in weakness and enthralled with glory. Weakness so that you do not rely on yourself and glory so that you know why it's worth it. Glory so that you know why it's worth it. And so this morning, we're going to end. And I want you to see something about the glory of your shepherd this morning that you haven't seen before. And I hope you have. And I want you to want the shepherd because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, period. He is enough. And he is enough for you. And my concern is, because I know my own heart and I know how it works, is that this morning there are some of you here this morning and all you want are green pastures and quiet waters. But you don't want the shepherd. I hope that's not the case. That's why I'm here, is to plead with you that that is not the case. I don't want you to live for green pastures and still waters and not have the shepherd because there are no green pastures and still waters if you don't have the shepherd. He's the one who creates them. He's the one who gives them. And so this morning, these these altars are open. There's an invitation to you every single day from the Father himself through his Son that you would come and find how good and sweet your shepherd is, your Savior, Jesus Christ who died for you, and who lives again. He is good. And I hope that this morning you will put your trust in him. You will turn from sin and make him and see him as he truly is, as the great and glorious shepherd. We pray. Lord Jesus, we are insufficient for any task in this world if you are not with us, Lord. We are jars of clay. We are weak sheep. And yet we often think we are so much better than we are. Lord, I know I was the same. And Lord, I have have seen something so beautiful in you. And Lord, I pray that it would captivate me always. And that you would captivate your people with how great you are. And that you would draw us this morning. Lord, that there would be people here this morning who would see and recognize your glory and that it is for their good. So God, I pray that you would save your people, that you would lead them in righteousness for your namesake this morning and for all their days. Because we know that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord.
One of the miracles is that his glory and his newness can come through you to others that you come into contact with, right? It's not us. It's not our flesh. It's his glory through us. But that requires of us to give him everything, surrender everything. And so that's what we're going to do in this moment. We're going to do it anew because maybe you've done that before, but maybe God is asking you to do that again in order to create a newness and to shine his glory through you. So let's stand together and give him all of ourselves as we respond.
thank you, Lord. Your glory is here, Lord. Your power and your might are here. We can trust you, Lord. You are trustworthy. You're a faithful God. You're a God that wants to change us into your likeness day by day. So, Lord, we yield to you and what you're doing in us. And Lord, if there are those things, that sin that is gnawing at us that we just can't let go of, Lord, reveal that to us and help us to just give it away. Let you heal us and rescue us and deliver us from whatever it is holding us back. That you might create that newness and shine your glory through us. Again, for your glory, Lord, not for our glory, not for us, but for you and your kingdom's sake and your name's sake. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to our hearts so perfectly and beautifully. We love you and praise you. Continue to do a work in our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Give him praise. Hey, don't go anywhere. I'm going to let the vote tribe right now kind of go out to the lobby so that they can be out there and say hi to them when you have a chance as you leave. Remember the mission-specific envelopes, and we believe in global and local missions. Amen? We believe in lives being changed for Christ here both locally and globally, so make sure you remember that. And uh, visitors, if you're here for the first time, we have a welcome center. We'd love to meet you and get to know you better out here in this lobby as well. God bless you guys. Have a blessed day.